Amen. Uh, we're continuing our series in Acts chapter 5 this morning, and as we uh, pick up where we have left off, I just got to say um, that we are in this room, most of us are in this room here today because we know that following Jesus is the most joy-producing, purpose-defining, heart-awakening life that is truly life, the abundant life that any of us can experience. We know this. Many of us get up on a Sunday morning, and we get up earlier than we would on a Sunday morning to come and to, uh, to, to give ourselves to following after this Jesus. And we know this. Some of you are here this morning, and you don't yet know Jesus, but you're here because you're searching out whether this Jesus is what your heart was created to know and to worship. And that's why you're here this morning. And though we know that, there's something that we need to understand about what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus actually gave us this warning before um, people decided to follow him. He said, count the cost. Count the cost. That in following Jesus, yes, it is the most uh, joy-producing, purpose-defining, heart-awakening, what we were created for walk, but there's also a cost that comes with following Jesus. And today, as we continue our study in the book of Acts, we are going to see here the cost the apostles paid for simply obeying Christ. There was a cost to it. They get into some hot water. They get into some trouble. Um, last week we saw Acts chapter 5 verse 14 it says this more than ever believers were added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women Uh, throughout the book of Acts anytime you see a verse like this anytime you see an update on the status of God doing a great thing always watch out for what's coming next Typically, in the book of Acts, on the heels of a statement about all that God is doing, comes a great season of hardship, comes a a season of persecution. In fact, uh, as we get to this part in the book of Acts, there's really a pattern that we're going to see repeated throughout the rest of this book. And the pattern goes something like this. Um, the, uh, the, The disciples, the Jesus followers pray, the Spirit fills, the Spirit empowers them for more witness, for a specific action. They witness boldly. Many people believe great persecution breaks out the believers go back to pray and around and around the wagon wheel will go throughout the rest of the book of Acts this is a pattern we will see repeated and we're to the part of the cycle here where some persecution is going to break out now we need to walk out of here today knowing something to follow Jesus comes at a cost The cause of Christ will usually lead to a cost for Christ in different seasons of our life. But the goal of this passage, what we can't can't miss and what this passage is going to crescendo and build into is how the apostles respond to the cost. It's crazy. They look nuts. The way that the apostles react and respond to the cost they're going to pay for obeying Jesus is absolutely beautiful and something we need to be able to walk out of here today going, how can I respond in the same way when the cause of Christ costs me something? How does that turn into a season not of hanging my head and licking my wounds and feeling sorry for myself and feeling like the victim, but instead into a season of great rejoicing and worship? That's what we're getting after today. And so today's message uh, is set up a little differently than I normally do. Uh, Today's message is broken into two parts. Part one is this. We're just going to experience the story. 
And so normally throughout a message, I'll stop and I'll apply it to our lives. We're not going to do that today. We're going to get into Acts 5, verse 17. We're going to walk right through the end of the chapter, and we're going to get into the story right where they are. we got to hear the temple sounds. we got to breathe the prison air. we got to get here. Amen? we got to bridge the gap from our life here in 2018, sitting in a beautifully comfortable um, cafnatorium, and... um, we got to bridge the gap back to what they were experiencing. And then part two is this. Then we're going to apply it to our lives. Then we're going to bridge the Bible times back to our life today and pull out four principles that we can learn from this passage. Amen? Y'all ready for this? Everyone say yes. Verse 17. Here we go. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles, and put them in public prison. Verse 17 begins with this word, but. We need to know what this is continuing on. It's what I, that verse I read before. Like more than ever, multitudes are coming to know the Lord. Um, Luke has just given us a snapshot in verses 12 through 16 of kind of an update of what's going on here. Many signs and wonders are being done. Great respect. The apostles have great respect among the populace at this time. People are looking and going, wow, we respect those guys, and people are coming to faith. Now, Um, those in authority don't like that. But the high priest rose up, all who were with him, and it tells us who those people are. That is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrest the apostles, they put them in public prison. This isn't the first time we see this group, the Sadducees, mentioned in the book of Acts. In this time, uh, there's kind of three factions or three groups within Judaism. We've heard of two of these groups often throughout the Bible. You have the Pharisees. You have the Sadducees, and then you have a group that you don't hear about as much in the Bible, but you see in history, you have a group called the Essenes. It tells us here that the group associated with the high priest, kind of the, 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 the majority, if you will, of the Sanhedrin at this time, is this group called the Sadducees. Remember, Sadducees were the wealthy aristocrats of Jewish society. They were the power players. They had the money, they had the ends, they knew the right people, and they do not like this Jesus movement, and they don't like anything about this character, Jesus. And so the apostles, they're back there on Temple Mount, they're in Solomon's portico, they're proclaiming Jesus, and here comes the authorities once again. They arrest them, and they throw them in where? They throw them where? We can't just, we can't just gloss over some of this stuff. Like sometimes when we study the book of Acts, we're like, yep, there they go, apostles, thrown in prison again, going to get beaten. Okay, next, next verse. Now understand something. They go to prison for obeying Jesus. Like that night, instead of crawling into their bed, they're laying on a hard, cold prison floor. Why would they do? They obeyed Jesus. Sometimes the cause of Christ leads to a cost for Christ. And now look at what happens during that night, verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. No, really. During the night, how'd they get let out? Who let them out? An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors doors and lets them out. Hey, 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 how'd you guys escape from prison? An angel opened the door. 
no, 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 like really, really, how'd you guys escape last night from an angel opened the door? Like sometimes I think we spend so much time trying to explain away the supernatural work God is doing with natural explanations. Sometimes we just have an awesome, supernaturally powerful God, right? And he sends an angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord opens the door. Y'all are crazy. No, we're, we're not. Our God's awesome. An angel of the Lord opens the door and lets them out, and then look at what he tells them to do. This is nuts. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. They're in prison. Why are they in prison? Why are they in prison? Witnessing about Jesus in the temple area. Here comes the angel of the Lord. Prison doors open. They get out and the angel's like, hey, okay, here's what, here's what I want you to do. Message from the Lord. Here's what you're to do. You're to go back into the temple area and you're to proclaim this life, this Jesus. Question? Question? You just released us from prison because we were in the temple area proclaiming this life in Jesus, and now you said to go back and do the very thing that got us in prison that you're releasing us for. Yes. That is foolish. No, it's faithful. When God says go, you go. When God says go there, you go there. When God says do this, you do this. Even if in our human wisdom it appears so foolish, and even if everyone around us would say, fools, why would you go right back there and do the exact same thing that got you into this predicament in the first place? Because God said to. And obeying God is the wisest place that we can be in in our life at any time. And look at what they do, verse 21. And when they heard this, what'd they do? When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. You get the picture here that they're waiting there as Temple Mount opens. They open the gates and they're the apostles ready to go obey the Lord and to be obedient to what it is that God has called them to do here. Now this gets a bit comical. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council. That's the Sanhedrin, 71-member Jewish ruling council. They called together the council, all the, um, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. How would you like to be those guys? How would you like to be those guys? Sanhedrin, San, I mean, the Sanhedrin, these are... These are the, uh, this is the authority. These are the who's who of Jewish life. They, like, you did not cross the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin sends you, hey, go get those guys we arrested there that last night. There's 12 of them. They're the Jesus guys. Go, they're in prison over there. Go get them. Bring them back to us. They're going to stand before us today. If you go, and all of a sudden, here you come back empty-handed, and they're like, where are the guys? Um, sir, we don't know. What do you mean you don't know? They were in prison last night. We put them there. Where are they? We don't know. Verse 23, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. This is almost comical here. You have the authorities, you have the Sanhedrin. They're trying so hard to kind of corral these guys and to get them to stop proclaiming this Jesus. Uh, uh, who, who in here, um, like favorite 
cartoon of the past, Bugs Bunny? Bugs Bunny? You know, like Elmer Fudd just spends his entire life trying. Don't you feel bad? Don't you feel bad for Elmer? And Bugs is always like tying his gun in a knot, you know, and back in. This is what it feels like here. It's like the Sanhedrin, they're trying so hard to corral these guys. And they're like, got them in prison. We'll bring them before us tomorrow. And then the angel of the Lord comes and he's like, how about this? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go right back. Keep doing what you've been doing. And you have these leaders here so perplexed. They're so confused. They're absolutely befuddled going, what is going on? They don't know what has happened to these men until someone comes with a report, verse 25. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were, why didn't they bring them by force? What's it say next? They were what? They were afraid. Think about this. The apostles for Jesus are arrested for their faith. They're thrown into prison. They have no idea what's coming the next day, but it doesn't make any mention of fear or them being afraid. What you have here is those in authority. It says they are afraid right now. They're afraid of what? Of being stoned by the people. And so here comes uh, probably the temple guard, and they come up, and they're the apostles. They're back in the Solomon's portico area. They're back preaching about Jesus, and they walk up with smiles, and they're, they're like, let's, let's not do this by force because the people are this kind of a popular season right now for the apostles. And so they're smiling, and they're leading them away, and they're like, just smile, just smile, pretend like we're friends, pretend like we're friends. And off they take them back before the Sanhedrin. Now you've got to know something. The Sanhedrin is fired up right now. They are fired up, y'all. I mean, they've just been made a mockery of. These guys aren't listening to their orders to not preach about Jesus. They've thrown them in prison, and uh, they have no idea how they got out. All they know is that they did get out, and they are fired up right now. Look at verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council... And the high priest questioned them. Now, you just gotta, we kind of painted this scene before when Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin. But semi-circle, uh, high priest sitting up there. The kind of the, you just feel the weight of that moment. The 12 of them standing in the midst of the semi-circle of the who's who and the power players of their culture and their society. And the high priest is going to, he's got some questions for them now. And look at, look at what they say here. Verse 28. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Don't look, don't look, don't look. But who, who's, about, who's about to speak up on behalf of the apostles? Who is it? Who? Peter. You know. Like any time like someone else stops talking, Peter's going to fill that silence, right? But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. It's the exact same thing Peter said when it was just Peter and John standing there. Yeah, no, it wasn't that we didn't hear your orders. It's that you were ordering us to do something that would violate an order that we had from a higher authority. Peter and the apostles go, we marched to the beat of a higher authority. 
standing in front of the highest earthly authority of their culture and of their time and of their society, they just said, we march to the beat of a higher authority. We answer to a higher authority. We must obey God rather than men. And now look how he keeps going here. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Get what Peter just did here. Peter and the apostles at this time are way less interested in defending themselves and way more interested in just witnessing about Jesus in front of the authorities of this day. This is crazy. They're like, yeah, 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 we're not even interested. We don't even need to defend ourselves. But while we're standing in front of you, let me witness to some things. Let me tell you about this Jesus. And you killed him. And he is here to give repentance to all. And they just straight up witness before the Sanhedrin. And if the Sanhedrin was mildly fired up before, they want blood now. Like these people keep putting the blood of this Jesus guy Back on them and look at their response now. Verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So here you have, and you can kind of picture maybe like the younger, the younger men on the Sanhedrin who after Peter gets done speaking, like their best idea is like, kill them, let's kill them, get the stones, let's end this right now, we're done with them making a mockery of us, kill them, and all of a sudden in the midst of what you can imagine to be just the chaos of people yelling over each other and trying to make plans of what to do next, uh, uh, um, uh, up stands this guy, Gamaliel. And uh, you can imagine in this moment, he's the older, he's the wiser. He's going to speak just a word into this situation to just kind of calm it. And you don't even see him like yelling over the other people. He just kind of waits till there's a bit of a calm and he just starts to talk. And when Gamaliel talks, everyone else stops talking. Uh, this guy uh, is spoken of not only in the Bible, but in history as well. He's uh, spoken of as like the Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, in fact, some scholars say that when this guy died, um, the purest form of the pharisaical life died with him. 
Like this guy was respected. In fact, uh, right now, as we study this, there's a, he's got a student under him right now, a guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. You ever heard of that guy? He's going to become real important in this story later on. He's studying under this guy right now, and Paul will say later about himself that he was like a Pharisee of Pharisees. So Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, is studying under this guy, the Pharisee of Pharisees. Like this was the teacher. And... Um, he gets up and he says, here's the deal, guys. Do you remember, there's been revolts before. There's been revolutionaries before. There's been movements that have started before. And um, what happened to those? The leader dies. They all just kind of disperse and they all just fade out. And he says, if, if this is of man, if this is a movement of man, the same thing's going to happen here. We don't have to fight this. But then he says what? But if this is of, but if this is of God... And let me add commentary to that, and it is 2,000 years and counting later, right? The movement is only gaining steam because Jesus is the Lamb of God slain for all of the earth that every heart that lives on this world is to know and to live by and to experience eternal life with forever. He says, if this is of God, you don't want to be found on the other side of opposing a movement of God. And he just speaks kind of a sobering word of wisdom. And now look at, look at how they respond here. End of verse 39. So they took his advice wisely. And when they had called in the apostles, um, don't miss these next three words. Don't just read over those. When they had called in the apostles, what happened? They beat them. Uh, most likely a flogging. Uh, most likely 39 lashes with a whip or 39 beat, uh, uh, blows to the back with a rod. They beat them. And it was brutal. It was brutal. Like, it, I'm going to spare us the gory details, but just the open air across their open the open wounds of their backs would have been excruciating you didn't just lay down on a bed that night you didn't just sit in a chair it would have been brutal why were they beaten because they were simply obeying Christ they beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. The beating had a purpose. The beating had a purpose. The beating was supposed to demoralize them. The beating was supposed to completely debilitate them. The beating was supposed to silence them. Here's what happens if you're going to keep talking about this Jesus. The beating was supposed to so demoralize this group of Jesus followers that they were supposed to walk out with their head hung low, licking their wounds, playing the victim card, and stopping their testimony about Jesus. Let's see if the beating worked. Verse 41, then they left. Then they left the presence of the council. What's the next word? Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. They left the presence of the council with joy. 
They left the presence of the council rejoicing. Why? That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And then did it silence them? Verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They did not leave with their heads hung low, licking their wombs, playing the victim card. They left with their head high, with their arms raised, praising Jesus that they would even be counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. How in the world do we respond like that. Anyone else want to know? Let's go to part two now. Four, four principles, four principles for us to take from this story here today. Number one, you got them on your notes. Sometimes faithfulness to God is foolishness to others. The angel lets them out of prison. He says, hey, go back right to the same place and do the same thing that got you in here. That is foolish. Why would we do that? No, that's faithful. That is faithful. The wisest thing to do is to simply obey God no matter what the cost might be for obeying him. Amen? And listen, that's real easy to amen here on a Sunday morning as we sit here. It's really hard at times to live out. Sometimes... Faithfulness to God is foolishness to others. I want to tell you a quick story. Um, if you've been around church world at all, you've heard of this guy, you know this story a bit, but if you haven't, you need to study this story more because uh, it's a 60-second overview of it can't do it justice. A missionary named Jim Elliott. Who's heard of this missionary named Jim Elliott? Um, he and four other missionaries felt called by God to go and reach a, a, a jungle tribe in Ecuador, the, the Alcas. And so um, they, they had spent years, I mean, this wasn't just like, hey, let's go reach the Alcas. They had spent years planning this. They had been intentional. They had tried to build a relationship with these people by actually flying their plane overhead, and they would drop presents for them in a basket, trying to build any sort of relationship with them that they could. But these people were a warrior people. They were a brutal people. And if you know the story of Jim Elliot, eventually they would fly their plane in to reach this jungle tribe, and um, he, with these four other missionaries, were brutally slaughtered. Leaving a wife, leaving a young toddler daughter. I mean, the world would look at this and go, just foolish. You knew these were warriors. You knew what, you knew what happened. I mean, um, they knew that people who had gone and, and tried to engage these people before, like no one has come out of this alive. Just absolutely foolish, right? No faithful. Um, something even more foolish about this story is just a few years after this, his, his young bride with their young toddler daughter would go right back to the same tribe of people that murdered her husband just a few years before. Like, what's she thinking as that plane's flying into there? How many people told her how foolish that would be? Do you, no, no, you've got your daughter, your, your toddler daughter. Your husband lost his life. And what's the end of that story? Many in that tribe come to know Jesus, amen? Sometimes faithfulness to God looks like 
foolishness to others, and sometimes it sounds like foolishness to us. And now, um, let me just, well, let me just say this. When God calls you to something, just obey. Regardless of what the cost may be, just obey. Uh, second principle we need to pull from this, and it's this. Be bold. Be bold. You answer to a higher authority. There they are standing in front of the Sanhedrin, and they're like, why are you doing this? Why are you talking about this, Jesus? We told you to stop saying this. And Peter's simple response, we have to obey God rather than men. Folks, listen. We have to obey God rather than men. We march to the beat of a higher authority. One day we will stand before this highest authority and the only thing that matters on that day is how we've lived to honor him in relationship with him. Now God has put authority over us in this life that we live. God has put, did you, did you guys know that? God has put imperfect authority over us in this life we live. Do you know that? Like we're not always going to like the things that the authority over us asks us to do, but God tells us to honor authority. But here's the deal. We honor and obey authority only to the point where honoring and obeying that earthly authority would also honor and obey God. At the point that an earthly authority is asking us to do something that dishonors God, we stop. We answer to a higher authority. So you don't lie to cover up something that a superior at work has done, but they could, I could lose my job for that. You answer to a higher authority. You lovingly and you firmly stand against things that God says in his word are wrong, but it could cost me. Of course it could. But on the day you stand before your ultimate authority, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're living to hear. You continue to proclaim Christ after you've been told to not proclaim Christ. Why? Because you answer to a higher authority. Be bold. You answer to a higher authority. Number three is this. Rejoice when you suffer for the cause of Christ. When the day finally comes and you experience loss for the cause of Christ, what is your response to be? Rejoice. On that day, you will be so tempted to walk out with your head hung low, feeling completely demoralized, feeling completely depressed, wanting to play the victim card. God, I just obeyed you, and look at how this paid out for me. Instead, walk out of there with your arms held high going, I just got the privilege of suffering for the name of Jesus, and it's a privilege. In fact, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3. In a string of things that he's writing, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And then he says something crazy. And I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Lord Jesus, if knowing you more entails suffering in our life, we choose the suffering in order to know you more. Some of us are like, maybe choose that it's the great privilege rejoice when you suffer for the cause of christ fourthly is this whatever happens no matter the cost never silence your witness whatever happens no matter the cost never silence your witness 
They beat the apostles. They say, leave here and don't ever talk about this Jesus again. The apostles walk out, arms raised high, continuing to proclaim in the temple area and from house to house about this Savior. Now, look up here. Look up here. Don't put your stuff away. Look up here. A friend of our ministry who does work with unreached people groups around the world, they said it so beautifully. In just a, a conversation they were having with one of our pastors, they said this, the goal of persecution is to silence the witness. The goal of persecution is to silence the witness. The witness for Christ can never be silenced. The cause of Christ will lead to, at times, to a cost for Christ. And no matter what happens, no matter what, we can't ever stop talking about our Savior. How? Now, how do, we, how do we rejoice in paying a cost for Christ? How do we rejoice in paying a cost for Christ? Here's how. Only when the gospel has gripped and saturated our heart. Only when the gospel has gripped and saturated our heart. When we see that we're a people completely saved by Christ's suffering and resurrection and offer of grace to us. Only by that can we rejoice when the cause of Christ leads to a cost for Christ. It's only when the gospel has gripped us. And folks, here's the gospel. We were hopelessly lost, separated from God, and wicked beings. Like I went to church today and I thought it would be so encouraging and the pastor said I was wicked and separated from God and hopeless because it's the truth. But it doesn't end there. God, out of his great love for us, he sent his son to pay the price for our sin that we deserve to, put, to pay. Lamb of God in my place, he substituted he stood in and substituted for us and took our suffering on his behalf. It's only when that reality will grip our heart. When we understand that we follow a Savior who suffered for our sin, who gave up all so that we could gain. Jesus gave up all so that we could gain. He died so that we could live. He paid my ransom price so that I could go free. When that reality finally grips our heart, the priorities of our life quickly turns from preserving the most comfortable, most affluent, best life now that we could possibly live on this earth. And the whole current of our life changes and goes, whatever it takes to just follow Jesus, whatever it takes, no matter the cost, I'll give up my life for him because he gave up his life for me. That's when we really start living. And that is the life that Christ has called us to. When the gospel has saturated our heart, we begin to actually believe what it says in 2 Corinthians 4. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Like what if we actually started to believe that verse? Look at me, decades-long churchgoers. Look at me, lifelong Christians. What if we actually started to believe that verse? 
that the worst we could experience on this earth for the cause of Christ is simply a light and momentary affliction compared to what it will be like on the day we stand before him in his presence, unhindered by sin, looking in his eyes and hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Like the worst that this world could offer us will be light and momentary compared to that. When that grips our heart, we'll go, hey, the cause of Christ leads to a cause for Christ, and it is the most worthy cause that I could possibly sacrifice for.